Well, I'd like to ask you if you wouldn't open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22, and there is, as always, a Bible app event for this message. If you tuned in last week online, or if you were here last week, if you heard last week's message, you know that last week we talked about Isaac's birth. This week, we're going to talk about Isaac's near-death experience, uh, because that's pretty much the way you might categorize it. Before we get into the nitty-gritty of it, though, I want to tell you a story uh, that's told by Fred Craddock. Fred Craddock is um, one of the best sermon writers and preachers as far as putting a sermon together and communicating of the last century. You may think to yourself, well, I don't think I've ever heard of him, and that may be the case because the people who really love hearing him, for the most part, tend to be people who write sermons, you know? And so if you're a woodcrafter, you really admire the work that woodcrafters do. And if you're a pastor, a preacher in this case, you really love the things that Fred Craddock does. Fred was uh, teaching others how to preach in seminary, and he tells a story uh, about a young man who was going to preach on Genesis 22. Let me just read it in Fred's words. I had a student some years ago who I'm sure has since repented of his ways. First class in preaching, introduction to preaching, preaching in front of the class, And I, that semester, allowed the students to choose their own texts. He chose Abraham offering Isaac. Huh, well, first-year student, Abraham offering Isaac. I knew that Martin Luther had said, that text is too big, I cannot preach on it. But my student, you know. So I called him into my office and I said, are you sure you want to preach on this? Oh, yeah. I like that story. I want to preach on that. I said, okay, but you'll discover this is a mountain, I think you'll discover, this is a mountain too high, and you might not be able to climb it. Oh, no, I think I can do that. Okay. So he explained Abraham offering Isaac, and then he needed an analogy. What was it like to raise the knife over one's own son? in confidence that God will provide. And so he said, there are a lot of sacrifices we make if we believe in God and want to serve him. I know when I came to school here, I arrived in early August to get settled and my apartment wasn't ready. So I was put in temporary housing. It was not a very nice apartment, but the thing about it, it was not air conditioned. And there I was in August in Atlanta, without air conditioning. (laughs) Craddock concludes, so he knows what Abraham's all about. (laughs) This is a huge passage. And I, along with Martin Luther, feel thoroughly inadequate to preach on it. But what I'm going to do is preach on one line from it. And I want to give you that line in the context of the message. That line, I believe, is the point of the story. So you have your Bibles in front of you. You're in Matthew 22. We're going to read verses 1 through 19. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son who you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and looked... He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up 
and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey, and I will go with the boy, and I and the boy will go over there. We will worship, and then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father? Yes, my son. Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now, I want to pause here. I want you to hear that sentence again. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Interesting sentence. Let's go to verse 9. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. There's that word again, provide. The Lord will provide. And then again at the end of verse 14, and to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. There's that phrase again, it will be provided. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called Abraham, called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear my, by, by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of your enemies and through your offsprings, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned his servants, to his servants rather, and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Okay, so let's deal with this straight up and let's talk about some of the struggles that we might have with this story. And I have some issues with this story, some problems with this story, have had them through the years. The, the first one is this. This is very unlike God to suggest such a thing as this. Human sacrifice, really? God? Human sacrifice? It is a distinctly pagan event. It is condemned in the word of God. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 10, it says, let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft. So this is a troubling thing to God. And that makes it a troubling thing imagining God asking Abraham to do such a thing. But he did. Here's another problem that people have with this, and it's really from a theological perspective. This is in conflict with the covenant, the promise that God has made. In fact, just one chapter earlier, Abraham and God are talking together, and God says this sentence to Abraham. It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Isaac is a child through whom the people of God will emerge. 
And eventually, through the line of Isaac, rather, the Messiah himself will come to be. That's going to be pretty hard to pull off if we put this knife to this boy. How's that going to happen? It's in conflict with the covenant. How's it going to work if Isaac never has a child? Another problem? (laughs) The story is troubling because it is beyond child abuse. I mean, CYS, they would have been right at Abraham's doorstep or his tent step, as the case may be. And rightly so, from a human perspective. And from God's perspective, if you read Leviticus 18.21, for example, it says, do not give your children to be sacrificed to Moloch. Don't do that. Don't do that. Hmm. And even if Abraham doesn't go through this act, What kind of an impression might this leave on a child, on Isaac? There are good answers for that. But as I said, we're not going to delve into those questions. But what I want you to see is two things. Number one, it's okay to ask these questions because you can think through them. And number two, it's really quite understandable why Martin Luther said, I'm not going to preach on that passage because there's so much there that is so hard to understand. Now, before we get to the key point, I can't just leave you hanging here. So I kind of want to give you some factors to consider as you think about the things we've raised. And the first is this. For Abraham, God's leading is unmistakable. It's unmistakable. Occasionally, do you ever feel like, you know what, I should probably call Aunt Jane? You ever feel like that? You wonder, is God telling me to do that? Maybe I should do that. Or occasionally, do you ever feel like, you know what, I should send so-and-so some money. I know they're at school and they're really struggling. Maybe I should help out that way. I wonder if God's telling me to do that. I have that happen in my life frequently. Is that you, God? Are you telling me to do that? And there are times when those feelings are really uncertain. I don't know if this is God or not. There are other times that I know, that's God, Steve. You need to do that. But as certain as I may be about God telling me to do something, I will say to you with clarity, I have never been certain enough to take someone's life, right? Never. Never had that kind of certainty. But hear the sentence. It will not be news to you. (laughs) Abraham's relationship with God was a lot different than mine. And it's a lot different than yours. God showed up in physical form to talk to Abraham. I haven't had that happen to me. God made personal contact with Abraham that was so tangible, Abraham could have touched him. In fact, Abraham fed him. Huh, yeah. God's interaction in his life was as clear as I'm talking to you right now, clearer. There was no question in his mind. And so Abraham is as sure about this as a human being can be about anything. And his relationship with God makes God's leading unmistakable. Second, Scripture reveals that Abraham had a faith that was unparalleled. This story shows that his faith is even unimaginable. People for centuries scratch their heads and say, how could he trust God that way? And evidently, a couple thousand years later, the author of Hebrews felt like he was going to answer that question just as an aside. And as the Holy Spirit was breathing the words of Hebrews chapter 11, in what we call the hall of fame of faith, it says in verse 17, by faith, 
Abraham, when God tested him, offered his son Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And so you're reading Hebrews and you're like, how did he do that? And the Holy Spirit knows you're going to ask that question. So the Holy Spirit continues in verse 19, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. You see, Abraham's faith said, I trust God to carry out his promise. Abraham's faith said, I trust God to carry out his promise through Isaac. And Abraham's faith said, I trust God to carry out his promise through Isaac, even if Isaac dies. He's still faithful. Abraham's faith was unparalleled. And third, I think it's important to note that God knows that Isaac is not going to be sacrificed here. He knows this sacrifice will never happen, and he intends that it would never happen. I kind of wonder, this is just a Steve thing, okay? But I kind of wonder if somehow God protected Isaac in the midst of this, emotionally, spiritually, maybe by preventing him from believing, is this really happening? I don't know this. This is just a Steve thing. But maybe you've seen it. When something bad happens to someone, and after the fact, it seems that somehow or other God protected the most emotionally vulnerable from feeling the full brunt of that. Joey, I don't know how you handled that. That must have been the most terrible thing that could ever happen in your life. Nothing like that has ever happened to me. I don't even know anyone that anything like that happened to. Joey, how, how did you handle that? Well, you know what? To tell you the truth, I hardly even noticed it was happening. And afterward, it kind of didn't seem real. Have you ever talked to someone and they talk about that kind of thing? I have. God does that kind of thing. He protects that kind of way. So God, who knows Isaac is going to be killed here, this is just a Steve thing, but I feel pretty confident he protected him one way or the other because he's God and God does that kind of thing. God knows that Isaac's not going to be killed here. Either Abraham is going to prove himself faithful and Isaac will be spared or Abraham's going to blow it and not prove himself faithful and Isaac will be spared. So there's no fear here that Isaac's going to die. Now, I know those factors don't really remedy the problems you might have or remove them all, but it should tell you that, man, maybe there are things that I would overlook when I would come at this passage with any kind of a judgmental or critiquing mentality. That being said, let's talk about the key to this story. And the key to this story is one sentence. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. That's the entire point of the story. It's a phrase we hear over and over in the story. When Isaac asks, where's the lamb, dad? Abraham answers, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. And then in verse 14, when, when Abram Abraham names the place. He names it in agreement with this concept of God's provision. He calls that place not Moriah, but he calls it the Lord will provide. And then finally, evidently he talks about this so much, the story's told so frequently, 
that in the time Genesis 22 was written, the author says, you know what? This is a really popular saying even to this day, on a mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Is that what you would have named this place? Is that the name you would have given it? I think I would have been tempted to name it something like this. The mountain of my sorrowful journey. Maybe. Or maybe I would have named it something like this. The land of my bitter obedience. That sounds really poetic. I might have named it that. Or the dark night of the soul. That would have been good, right? No, it wouldn't have. There's a Scottish minister of 200 years ago named Alexander McLaren. The only reason I'm telling you that is because it's my mother's middle name, McLaren. Alexander McLaren wrote uh, about this, and he said this. He said, Abraham christened the anonymous mountaintop, not by a name which would remind him or others of his trial, but by a name that proclaimed God's deliverance. Wow. He did not say anything about his agony, or for that matter, about his obedience. Abraham made it all about God's provision. On the mountain of the Lord, it'll be provided. The story reminds us of how attentive God is to our needs. In fact, as you study this, you begin to understand that there's more than one way to translate that phrase, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And <laughs> most people would, would translate it as Jehovah Jireh, which is what it says, the Lord will provide. And that's good. That's a good translation. But you might see in your Bible some marginal notes that speak about uh, that word provider can be seen in a different way. It could say the Lord will provide. It could say the Lord will be seen. Or it could say the Lord will see. That all of those words are appropriate from the Hebrew construction that is there. That God will provide. God will see. God will be seen. He does them all. All three of them. One expositor says, what it's saying is, whatever's going on in your life, whatever need you got, God will see to it. He will take care of it. God's attention is on Abraham and on Isaac. And by the way, his attention is on you as well. The story speaks of God's attention, and it speaks of this thing called the mountain of the Lord. On the mountain of the Lord, it would be provided. Great, let's go there. Where is the mountain, on the mountain of the Lord? You know, that word, uh, Moriah, the region of Moriah, it only comes up twice in the Bible. Here it comes up, Moriah. And the other place it comes up is about a thousand years ago in Second Chronicles, I'm sorry, a thousand years later, about a thousand years later in Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. Then Solomon, and you remember who Solomon was? He's David's son who becomes the king, and he builds the temple on Temple Mount. So listen to what it says. Then Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. I just got goosebumps. On Mount Moriah. <laughs> wow. Where the Lord had appeared to his father David. Wow, the same place. The region of Moriah. That place became known as Temple Mount. Its location was the location of temple sacrifices for centuries and centuries. And nearby, nearby that Temple Mount, about 100 feet higher in elevation is a place that you and I call Mount Calvary. 
Wow, right there. Now, don't miss it. It's not like God came to Abraham and said, go sacrifice your son, and Abraham walked from here to the blue cow to do it. It was a three-day journey. Remember? We just read it. Three days he traveled to get to this place. How interesting is that, that God sent Abraham to this place, Abraham believing he would sacrifice his son there, and then at that place, God provides an alternative sacrifice, a ram to die instead of, in place of, Isaac. God's provided an alternative sacrifice in his place for you and me. Not a ram, but his son, Jesus, on the mountain of the Lord. It will be provided. The Lord will see. The Lord will be seen. The Lord will provide. He speaks to our need. He enters our world. He provides for us. This story speaks of his attention. It speaks of this idea of providing a sacrifice. It speaks of our atonement. God provides the sacrifice necessary for our sin. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, the scripture says this. It says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. No, for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, this key on the mountain of the Lord that will be provided isn't just the key to the story of Abraham and Isaac. This key is the key to our faith. It is the key of Christian faith. On Mount Moriah, God provided what Abraham needed, a ram to be sacrificed. On Temple Mount, God provided a clearer picture of how he gives us what we need by providing the sacrifices required in the law. And on Mount Calvary, where Jesus died, God provided exactly what we need, the sacrifice of himself, God in the flesh dying in our place. But it's important to realize that God doesn't just provide for our needs on the mountain. He provides for our needs in the valleys. He provides for our needs in the corners and in the twists and in the curves. He provides for what you need throughout your journey. I kind of like to put myself into these stories. Do you do that? Like, you know, if I'm thinking, reading the story Jonah and the whale, can't wait to get to that one, right? Jonah and the great fish, to be more precise. I think of that story and I think, I wonder how slimy that was. That would have been gross. You put yourself into stories that way? Or maybe the story of Noah and the ark. If I were Noah, I would not have forgot the unicorn. For sure, right? You put yourself in stories that way? You put yourself in a story of this Abraham and Isaac. If I were Abraham, no way. No way. I am not putting myself into that story not going to do it. I lived in an apartment in late summer in Georgia, and I know, Laurel knows as well, we were on the top floor, and we know what that can be like without air conditioning. We were dirt poor, so we kept it set at 80 degrees. No lie. (laughs) No lie. But I want to tell you, I know that doesn't compare. I know that doesn't compare. And so while I can't imagine myself in Abraham's shoes, I can be sure because Abraham wore those shoes that God is with me no matter what. That God is ever faithful. 
that he is with me because as Jesus says, his eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. I think Abraham might say, God can be seen if you look for him. God's provision can be seen when you look. I say that because of things like verse 13. In the first part of that verse, it opens with Abraham looked up. Abraham looked up and saw a thicket there in the thicket and saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Abraham looked up. So as you're walking a difficult road, and Drew spoke about that this morning in the introduction, as you're walking a difficult road, where are you looking? Are you looking up for God? I'm not talking about keep your chin up, little buddy. It's bigger than that. I'm talking about looking to God and looking at what he's doing and what he offers. (laughs) Sometimes we're so goofy. You know, like last year during the pandemic, people were saying this to me from time to time. You know, Pastor Steve, through this pandemic, I've really been down the dumps. I feel so isolated. I feel alone. I feel so frustrated. I feel anger. And honestly, I don't see God doing anything to help. It just seems to be going on. And every time I turn on the news, they say it's going to go on longer and longer. And I just don't, I don't feel like God's helping me. But if I ask them, Well, are you doing online church? Well, we were at first, but sometimes, to be honest, by the time we're through with the music, we're doing something else. I'm on my phone, and uh, yeah. Well, what about your phone? Are you using the Bible app, or are you reading the Bible? Yeah, I was reading the Bible, but I'm just too mad to read the Bible right now. That's probably when you need to read it most, right? (laughs) Well, look, are you plugged into some of the discipleship that we're doing? Laurel's small group or something else that we're doing. Have you plugged into some of that? Nah, I, I just haven't done that. Yet. How about the video shorts that we're making available? Are you watching those? Are you watching Bernie's video shorts? I don't have time. Those are three minutes long, Pastor Steve. <laughs> yeah, do you see the problem? Do you see the problem? The people who do well spiritually are the ones who look to God for his provision. And those who don't, don't. That's just it. Hmm. God is there. On the mountain, he will be seen. You have to look. God provides for what we need because he sees us with eyes of compassion. You know, the word that Hagar used when she called God the God who sees her, the God who hears her, the the word that, that she used there is the very same word that Abraham uses here when he says, this is the mountain of the Lord and he will be seen and he will see me. It's the same language. God saw Hagar and her son Ishmael dying in the desert. And God saw Abraham and his son Isaac making their way up Mount Moriah. And God sees you. He sees you. And you may say, well, of course he sees me. He sees everything. He's God. He knows everything. He sees everything. But listen, the scene that I'm talking about here is marked by care and compassion and love and grace and mercy. And God sees you with eyes of compassion when you're in need. And this passage shows that he's not a spectator. God does more than just spectating. God God acts. He is an action person. (laughs) He's an action hero. (laughs) 
I love the way scripture says that God called Abraham. I mean, it's in verse 11, if your Bible's still open. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. And, you know, I know that God is never worried, and I know that God is never anxious. But just listen to the language. Abraham, Abraham. (laughs) He doesn't just call him once. It kind of reminds me of when my grandkids were here last summer, and my daughter and her husband were with them here. Remember, they were staying with us in our house. And over and over again, I would hear, I'd hear my daughter calling one of her sons, Zach, 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 (laughs) you know, Abraham, Abraham. There is a sense of urgency there because the angel of the Lord is going to stop this. He's going to stop this. He calls his name twice, not because he's worried, but because his compassion sees the urgency and preserves the child. And in your life, God acts with the same compassion. Not just in the 70, 80, 90 years that you get to live, but throughout eternity, God's compassion flows and flows and flows. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. He cares for you. That sentence is great, isn't it? I think we ought to try to bring it back. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Yeah. I'm going to start saying that. People walk up to me and say, Hi, Steve, how are you doing? On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. That might not be a good idea, right? But boy, there's a lot of places you could say it, right? When you're wondering how you're going to make it through the next month, when you're wondering how you're going to put up with those kids all summer long, when you're wondering how you're going to make it without that person, when you're wondering if you're going to find healing in this, on the mountain of the Lord, it'll be provided. Look for him. He sees you. He can be seen by you. And he will act on your behalf. Jehovah Jireh. (laughs) His provision. By the way, have you taken the most basic of those provisions as a human being? Now, generally, when I say basic, you're thinking like food and water? Okay, yeah, he provides that. No, I'm thinking eternally basic spiritually basic. The most basic of those provisions that came from the mountain of the Lord was the forgiveness offered through the death of Christ on your behalf. Have you taken that? It's not a ram that was caught in the thicket. It's not an offering that was, that was presented at the temple, at Temple Mount. It is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he offered himself on Mount Calvary for you. Have you taken that? And the way you take it is just to turn toward him. To say, God, I know that I've sinned. I I don't like that I've sinned. I don't even like admitting that I've sinned. I particularly don't like admitting that I've sinned, God. But I know that I've sinned. And I know that Jesus sacrificed himself for me. He was the Lamb of God who takes away my sin. I trust him. And I will turn away from my sin and in gratitude I will live a life allowing you to transform it, God, and to change me. And you know, we call that being saved. We call that becoming a Christian. We call that being born again. And it is the most basic and essential element that God provides on the mountain of the Lord. Have you personally done that? If you haven't, we'll talk to God in a minute and you can do it then. Beyond that, are there things in your life that God 
that you would love God to provide for you, but you haven't found the ability to lift your head and look and say, I want to see you. I will trust you. Do you have those things? Who doesn't, right? As we close in prayer in a moment, take those things and say, God, I just, I trust that you see these things. I just need to be able to see your hand of provision in these things. Would you please show it to me? And I'm going to go on a limb that is as safe as can be. He'll show you those things. He showed Abraham the ram. He might not show you those things right away. There was a three-day journey that was probably pretty long. But he'll show you those things. Look up. Look to him. Trust him. Because on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. In just a moment, I want to pray. First, for anyone here who may feel like, I don't know that I've ever really trusted Christ and taken the most basic provisions, salvation, forgiveness of sin, release from shame. And then second, I want to pray for those who maybe are walking a journey that is difficult for them. And listen to this. It could be you're in a really hard, hot apartment, you know? And it doesn't seem like much. His eye is on the sparrow. Not one hair falls from your head that he doesn't notice. And he cares about whatever you're dealing with. And on the mountain of the Lord, he will provide. I'm going to pray about both those things. So as the worship team comes, I would invite you to stand and we'll pray together. Would you bow your heart with me? Lord Jesus, as we unite our hearts in prayer, we do so recognizing, recognizing how your death on the cross is so evidently planned from before the creation of the world, mapped out and illustrated again and again through these Bible stories. These Old Testament Bible stories keep moving us right to your cross, Jesus. And we are thankful for that. I pray that everyone that's listening, whether online or in person, will have come to the place in their life where they see your great love in dying for them. And they would turn their hearts to you and say, I need that. I confess my sins, Jesus. I need your death to count for me. And then that you would take away their shame and their guilt and their unrighteousness. That you would inject into them your righteousness, your holiness, your purity, your goodness. That the transition, the exchange of turning in the old coat for the new one that you offer, God, that that exchange would be manifested in their life. And as they find forgiveness by knowing you already paid their debt and they don't have to, then stir in their hearts a sense of appreciation and love that would follow you. Not because someone gave them a list of rules and regulations, not out of the empty, vain teaching of man, but rather because your Holy Spirit has communicated your love, the love of Christ, and it is shed abroad in their heart so they want to please you and honor you. I pray specifically for those who've never made that transition. May they make it in their heart even now. Just by saying, yes, Lord, that's what I want. 
And I transition in my prayer, God, to pray about those who are walking a journey, trusting you for the big thing, the essential thing, but struggling to trust you in small areas. We all feel that. Sometimes we feel almost embarrassed, like, well, Abraham did this, and I'm having trouble with a hot apartment. But you don't want us to feel embarrassed. You simply want us to come to you and trust you. And so as we journey this journey to our own Moriah and on our own Moriah, may we look to you and see you. May we lift our head and see you. And may you provide that which we need every day for the journey because of Christ in whose name we pray, amen.